Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for tuning in. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Veracity Networks, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you for believing in me. I can't tell you how much that means to me. And I want to thank all the listeners who tune in week after week after week. We are blowing up and it blows my mind, but I shouldn't be surprised because it's because of the amazing guests that I have on. It's, it's really nothing that I'm doing. It's just more I'm luckily having some amazing people on this, and today's going to be no different. Today we are joined by the best-selling author of Starting at the Finish Line, Matthew Newman. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor, and I was really looking forward to this. Yeah, no, I, this, I, I've been looking forward to it. I mean, I'm always excited for my guests, but man, this one has been a little extra special because I've done a lot of research on, on Matt. And I want to give just a little background on Matt for our listeners before we get started. Uh, he's married to his beautiful wife, Rebecca. He has three amazing children. He's a cancer survivor. At age 39, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And we're going to, he's going to talk a lot about that. You actually got to ring the gong. And that really stood out to me. And it tears me up a little bit because my daughter got to ring the, the gong. And so um, props and just blessings to you, Matt, for being in and, that and position. To her, and to her as well, too, because we're a family of warriors. Let me for sure. Yeah. And speaking of that, you're a workout warrior. <laughs> um, you've done three TEDx talks. Um, you're, what I love about you, you're real, you're honest, you have a deep appreciation for life. You turn tragedy into success. You truly are a powerful force. Um, you provide inspiration, perspective, and you connect deeply with people all over the world. Um, you, you know, I was reading some, some testimonies and a, a, someone who had read your book said, quote, it made me a better man, unquote. And I'll tell you, um, I know that uh, I'm going to be a better person today after listening to your story and our listeners are going to benefit from benefit from this, not just today, but for life moving forward. And so I'm just so excited to have you on, Matt. Thanks for joining. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, it's funny how things happen. And there was yeah. a time in my life, I, I believed in irony. I could flat out tell you that. And we'll yeah. discuss some of that. I now believe things happen for a reason. And that's why we're on here today. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. Amen to that. So why don't we start? Um, I know, you know, there's a lot we want to talk about, and I can't wait to touch base on all this. But I want to start off, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your family life and you as a child. Yes, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey, about uh, 18, 20 miles outside New York City, in okay. a town called Parsippany. My parents both grew up in Fairlawn, New Jersey, which is about 10, 15 miles closer to the city. Oh, okay. My, my father's originally from the Bronx. But what happened is, Call it the 1950s. South Bronx started to get really bad. Yeah. So people either moved to Long Island or they moved to Northern Jersey. So okay. my parent, my father's roots are from the Bronx and my mother's roots are from New Jersey. Oh, I wow. grew up there. My mother was actually an ESL, English as a second language teacher in her oh. hometown of Fairlawn, okay. New Jersey. And it was a, I say it was a blessing to grow up in North Jersey when I did in the 70s and 80s, yeah. because it was such a mishmash of race, religion, uh, skin color. Nothing mattered. You, these were all the people you grew up with. We're all, yeah. all bleed the same. So it, it was a gift to grow up in an environment sure, and yeah. learn that we all bleed the same color red. Like my friends could be whatever. It doesn't matter in any way whatsoever. That's so awesome. we, my, there were so many people coming in from other countries at that point that English is a second language, which is important. School systems had that to teach yeah. these kids that came in. My father actually, to go in a little bit of an interesting yeah. angle, my father grew up in the food store business. My grandfather okay. owned food stores in New York and he used to commute from Fairlawn. It was a brutal business. 
it yeah. was absolutely brutal. People stealing from you left and right. Everything was oh, done in cash. There was mob really? issues, all this stuff. My father took over his business and owned these food stores in not the nicest area, a couple blocks from Yankee Stadium, Jamaica, Queens. Totally different now. I'm just saying, I'm saying back then. Back then, yeah, right. So I, I remember the story my mom tells that one day I was crying, a young, young kid. And she told my father to go up and take care of me. And I started crying louder because I didn't recognize him. He would mm. leave at five in the morning. He'd get home at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. He did everything. Sure. And it got to a point where he started to realize he wasn't getting those life moments with his family. Right. And he said, I'm done. Mm. And he was looking through the classifieds one day for your younger people. That's how people used to find jobs right there. He used to look through <laughs> right. the classifieds in the newspaper. And he saw a friend of his was at trying to hire people for a financial services firm. He called him just to be like, hey, John, I saw your, I saw your head in there. He said, come on, Joe, come interview here. He goes, oh, I know, I'm the food store. Yeah. I just sold my right, food yeah. store. <laughs> and he went in and he got into financial services. And what happens is you start to see at a very young age, we get these seeds that are planted inside of us mm -hmm. that don't bloom till much later in life. Sure. They make no sense to us at the time. We're actually agitated by like, why is he telling me this? Yeah, but at some point they will blossom and we will yeah. start to see the lessons we were given at a young age. So I had a father who called around 12 or 13 was a financial advisor. I had a mom who was a teacher. Half the stuff they would say, you're like, oh God, leave me alone. <laughs> right. yeah. But I would learn later in life that we learn these yeah. amazing lessons at young ages. And if we could hang on to them, we could transpose them into life as we get older. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm glad, very well said. You know, you people who know you now see this very strong, confident, passionate person. When you were, when you were young growing up, were you that kind of kid too? Were you a pretty confident kid or, or did you struggle with kind of fitting in? I mean, most, most kids do, but where were you at? It's a great question. I actually never had a problem growing up. Okay. And uh, growing up, I was always I was extremely social. I think that takes you to being good at when you go to college, when you go to there, you could just fit in wherever you are. That was always a, a gift that I had. It was, you know, give me 10 minutes and I'll make some buddies over here. <laughs> right. To be fair, That's awesome. if you also play to your strengths, I was a good athlete. I ended up getting a division one scholarship to, to play soccer in college. I was an all-state baseball player. It makes it easier when you're social yeah. and you know, you're playing on all these teams and all stuff like that. So it was really fun. So my upbringing was great. I got to be honest with you. I mean, we were, yeah. we were middle class for the most part, yeah. maybe upper, upper middle class, but it was one of those areas I grew up in where it was just, a, it was a privilege to be there. And as I got into college, I'll share a quick story with you. I remember I went to the university of Delaware and I had to go two weeks early because we had soccer camp and everything like that. So when right. I checked into my dorm, I'm talking to this guy who's from lower Delaware, the Dover, Delaware area, which is all the way like you're heading down towards, you know, Ocean City, Maryland. Almost. Okay. And yeah. tells me I'm the Jewish, first Jewish guy I ever met. And I'm sitting there like, what? And got, to this day, one of my best friends. To really? this day. Wow. you go, We're talking that is 25 years later. But it made me yeah. feel like, well, that doesn't make sense to me because I know everybody who's everything. It doesn't matter in any way whatsoever. <laughs> and it gave me a better perspective on the world. Gotcha. And connection. And it was interesting that I feel like I was gifted through my parents of this yeah. culture, if you will, yeah, of open yourself up to everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you said, all that diversity you grew up around, I think that's what makes you so good today. You talk about seeds being planted when you're young. 
I think that's why you relate with so many people now, because you just see people as people, you know, we're oh, the yeah. same kind of thing, but it, it, you know, it was cultivated as a young kid is what I'm hearing. And, and what, what a blessing that is to be able to be in that perspective. Cause a lot of people, unfortunately are not. It, it was. And that was my friend from Delaware, by yeah. the way, too, who is one of the greatest guys you can, I mean, he is. Yeah. And, and you started to have an understanding as I was growing up that, you know, it wasn't easy up in North Jersey. When I say it wasn't easy, people go, what do you mean? It's a grind up there. Yeah. When you're up in the Northeast, New York, those areas, I mean, people are out of the houses at five o'clock in the morning. Were, yeah. Those were lessons that were given to me that later I started to understand, like, I don't know any other way to do it. You, you wake up early, you go to work, you, you, yeah. you go do your thing, like, you, <laughs> you know? So it was, uh, I feel like I got a lot of gifts growing up in that area that yeah. I'm very thankful for. And I have nothing but fond memories of it. Yeah, so the expectation was to work hard. Absolutely. You were expected no to get up and, and pay your price. Get up and go. Fees. Yeah. I love it. Again, I think that's why you are where you are today. So moving forward. So you, you know, you graduate from high school. What were your, what were your dreams and your thoughts and your aspirations at that point in your life? It's funny how, how things change. There was the period you wanted to go to law school and I wanted to, you know, go into something else or, you know, I didn't want to be in sales. I want, and, your, and your mind starts going. So yeah. when I graduated from the University of Delaware in 1996, I'll never forget this. I, Maya Angelou has given our commencement speech, which was amazing. We're on the football field. I'm wearing the beautiful wow. blue cap and gown. Yeah. My father comes walking on the field with my mom and you know, I'm the first real college graduate right there, you know, of, mm. you know, my parents. And yeah. my dad looks at me, he's like, you yeah, know, way to go, buddy. And I'm like, King has arrived, dad. <laughs> Did this. And he looks at me and goes, what do you think you want to do now? I go, that's easy, dad. I want to be a financial advisor. I learned these lessons mm -hmm. from him growing up about planning, yeah. protect, things that right. all of a sudden were starting to bloom a little bit. Yeah. I said, I want to be a financial advisor, dad. I want to join your firm. And I'm going to keep my language very clean. But in my father's very thick Bronx accent, he said, there is no bleeping way you're joining my firm. And I was pissed. Yeah. Every picture of me to this day in my parents' house of graduation, I'm like, <laughs> jerk off. <laughs> it's awesome. honest truth. He was giving me one of the greatest lessons in life. There's no free lunches. Wow. Go out and earn it. Really? If you find it your craft, if you find it something you relate to, if it becomes a passion of yours, yeah. let's talk in a few years. And as angry as I was, he was gifting me with something saying, go figure it out not here you go. Wow, man, that is a huge lesson, but tough to hear in the moment, right? <laughs> oh, it was. Oh no, I'm telling you, the pictures are hysterical. I'm I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad. But it was looking back on it. I would yeah. do that for my children. Yeah. Well, and, and it, again, it kind of probably triggers to go back to the, okay, now I'm going to have to work hard. And I've been doing Absolutely. that my whole life at this point. So here we go. That's, so exactly what, that's what you did, right? So I became what was called a wholesaler. And it's interesting. Financial services is, is, is a very unique industry. Yeah. There, there's companies that manufacture mutual funds, mm -hmm. annuities, life insurance. Yeah. And one of the things I talk about, and I, I talk about it often, you probably saw it on the TED Talk, is yeah. the U.S. education system is flawed. Yep. We, we train people to enter the real world. We educate them on subjects to move them along from social, uh, social studies to math, all these other things. Then some start their careers after high school, some move to college, some yeah. start their career, some go to grad school, some go to med school, law school. We don't teach them anything about the basics of picking benefits. 
Mm. of financial planning. Now, when I say financial planning, let me make this clear. Sure. It has nothing to do with investing. It's not what you buy. There's little things as you take on more responsibility, like a will, a power of attorney to give the right person the ability to make decisions. You could do this on legal Zoom for $19. This is not the amount of wealth you have. That has nothing to do with it. What's a 401k? Because most people want what they can't get. They want life insurance after they can't get it. They want long-term care after they can't get it. They want a financial plan after they lose 30%. If we could educate them in some capacity, we could help avoid during difficult times, regret, resentment. Oh, I would have, I could have, I should have. And I I think it's faulty there because we're really preparing them for the real world. We should delve deeper into helping them make the proper alterations to the benefits they choose as they take on more responsibility. And there's no dog in the fight from a monetary compensation component there in any way. Yeah. Pure education. So to go back, you know, my father, I became a wholesaler because wholesalers have the same licenses advisors do. We -hmm. would work for a company and sit down with advisor and go, here's why you should use this mutual fund. Here's why you should do this annuity, whatever it's going to be. That was my way to go get licensed, figure it out. Then I'll join my dad's firm. Yeah. And I remember my dad sitting down with me right as I started. He goes, oh, I want to give you three, three points here. I'm like, all right, dad, what do you got? He goes, number one, <laughs> if you don't believe in the product, you and a family member wouldn't own it. Don't sell it. Wow. Lose yeah. the battle to win the war. It's about the relationship you create. It's about trust. Ooh, I love so, okay, that. Dad. He said, number two, always be honest. If you're not at some point, it will come through. Yeah. It will, it will also not let you put your head on your pillow at night. I said, yeah. Wow. He goes, number three, you got scholarships to college. Take that work ethic, combine it with those two others. There's no limit on what you could do. So what I started immediately doing as, as a wholesaler was saying the same thing to people every day for, over and over. The job of the financial advisor is to be there when things are bad, to give people good news at the deepest and darkest of times, to have a plan in place prior to the negative, to alleviate regret and resentment, to allow people to take on the battle, to take on the fight, regardless whether it's depression, disease, whatever it may be, because you've alleviated all these things that could start to weigh on your shoulders. Yeah. And that's what I started doing. And in 2002, I became the number one guy in my company. And in 2003, I became one of the top guys in the entire industry. And I remember my father sitting down with me going, not bad, kid, right? I'm like, yeah, kind of like (laughs) Delaware. Not bad, right? He goes, goes, "Uh, I think we should talk about you joining my firm. I go, no, you can't afford me any longer. We're done with that. (laughs) I found my craft, but I found the lessons that were blooming inside of me that my father gave me about the basics of planning, the basics wow. of finance. And I was just using them in a different area. And if I didn't have those seeds inside of me, I don't think I would have had that success that I had. And I look back with a lot of gratitude on that. Yeah. Well, you know, how could you not? I mean, that's so amazing. It sounds like your parents and especially your dad, the influence he had on you was just amazing. It, it was. And, you know, we listened to them when we thought we weren't listening. You get these yeah. things you soak in where you think you're kind of putting them off to the side. I don't want to hear you. Yeah. They're building their way in there. Yeah. The question is, can you execute and utilize them later on? Wow. And once I started to see them, I started to have a better understanding yeah. and I started to, to see the value of what we were trying to do. We were trying to be there for people connected to heartstrings. Yeah. I, one of the things I talk about, regardless the widget anybody sells, people don't buy product. They buy you, they buy your leadership, 
They buy your belief. They buy your honesty. Yeah. They buy your, your the dignity that you use when you explain something. So the more you understood that, you understood how important direct relationships really are and how, how much trust is a necessity. Wow. Love that. That's, that's amazing. Well, you know, one of the things you love to say, and I know you believe it, <laughs> is that you we learn our greatest lessons at our darkest times. And, I do. And I want to talk about that because there's so much we can talk about. You're, you do so many amazing things, but this is a part I really want to get into because mm -hmm. I think a majority of people listening to your story right now on this podcast, this belief cast, they are in a dark spot or they've been there or they've got a son or a daughter who's there. So let's talk about that because you've gone through some dark times as well, even though it sounds like things are going well at this point in your life, but you were, you know, you were faced with some really scary life-threatening challenges. Yeah. And I'll give you a, a slight perspective on that to answer your question. Please, so yeah. I, I moved down to Philadelphia when I started my career. Now I was the North Jersey Giants fan who moved down to old city Philadelphia on the cobblestone oh. streets, Liberty Bell, um, National Constitution Center. I was put in my place very quickly about being yeah. a Giants fan as I was getting berated. I'm looking around like, are you yelling at me right there? <laughs> For the guy who grew up in North Jersey, I knew within a day of being in Philly, that was my new home. I loved it. There was an yeah. ambiance. It was infectious. It was yeah. young professionals starting their careers, all these grad schools and medical schools and law schools already. It was, a, it, it was an ambiance you wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And it was something I fell in love with immediately. And I still live in the Philadelphia area now. So I was there. Business is going great. I had no interest in meeting a girl as I was living life. And the minute you're not interested, I met my future wife, Rebecca, immediately. <laughs> and we got married in 2006. Oh. My wife grew up in a very different environment than I did. Okay. I'm the Jewish guy who grew up in Northern Jersey. Mom's a teacher, dad's financial advisor. She grew up in old mining country, Pennsylvania. Mm. Her father was a highway construction worker. Mom was a janitor. She grew up in a 600 square foot row home. I went to college and had a wonderful time. She worked full-time to put herself through college at Temple and she had to go to a state school so she'd be able to afford it. And Man. a very different upbringing, Catholic, yeah. Jewish. But you heard all this negativity about in-laws. My father-in-law liked to hunt. He liked to fish. He liked to uh, grow things in the backyard. He liked to yeah. fix things around the house. Yeah, I did none of that. <laughs> but we both loved to drink a beer and watch baseball and they were unbelievably amazing people and i was so proud that we were going to be family together wow. and my wife and i got married in 2006 and i will do the math for you real quickly about okay. nine months later we were expecting our first child right after our wedding i'll let you guys figure that one out <laughs> and we did what most people do who live in the city Time to move to the suburbs. <laughs> right, yeah, time to move to the suburbs. Yeah. So we're going to move to a, place, a beautiful place called Washington Crossing, Pennsylvania. That's where Washington crossed the Delaware. We're oh, right okay. on the Delaware River. Great. It's unbelievably scenic, covered bridges, horse farms, but you're in New York in 45, 50 minutes, you're in Philly in 30 minutes. Yeah. It, it couldn't have been more perfect for us. Sure, sure. And I remember we were moving in July, and my first child was due that September. My dad sat down with me and goes, about to be a dad, right? I'm like, yeah, because taking on more responsibility. I go, yeah, I guess, what do you say every day? The job is to be there when things are bad, to have a plan in place prior to the negative, to be able to have some semblance of positivity when you truly need it the most, because you don't have to worry about all this stuff that was yeah. taken care of. Because do you practice everything you preach? I go, absolutely. Did you do your will? I go, dad, I just ran a tough mutter the other day. I mean, down I mean, he goes, just do your power of attorney. To increase your life insurance, did you do all the necessary things? You're taking on more obligation. You have more people relying on you. Did you do all that? 
I go, well, dad, I'll get to it. He goes, so you don't do everything you say. Wow. All I did is nod my head and went, okay. And over the next two weeks, I did it all. And this is not life-changing type stuff. I mean, most of it is a couple clicks of your mouse for the most part on your computer and boom, you update it. You got it right there. Yep, right. Did everything I talked about. In 2010, my father-in-law, 60 years old, and got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, man. My first experience with cancer happened when I was 15. My grandma, Grandma Harriet, was diagnosed with cancer. I, I wasn't old enough to understand it, acknowledge it, or really get what was going on. But I remember one day she was Grandma Harriet, the next day she was wearing a cancer turban, and the next day she was gone. Mm. What I do remember is what it did to my mother. My mother spoke to my grandmother every single day on the phone. Every weekend, we're at their house in Fairlawn, New Jersey. They're at their house in Parsippany. And I saw my mom cry every single day. I saw her become a different person. And I wish I could have hugged her more. I wish I got it. I, I didn't understand it. I was 15 years old. And all it did is build up this hatred that I had for cancer because it ruined my mom's life. And it, she never got over it. Yeah. My, my, my wife. I had a very similar relationship with my father-in-law. She was pregnant with our third child. We had two kids under three. And she made it her full-time job to do whatever he needed to get done to take care of him. She would take him down for his Whipple procedure at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital, Mm. 35, 40 minutes from our house. Mm. After that, he had to go on chemo and radiation. She would make lunch for the kids. She would get things taken care of. They're two and three. She would drive back and forth every day. She never bitched. She never complained. Right. It was an honor to be a part of this. Watching, she took care of me. She took care of the kids. She took care of her dad. And she did what she needed to do to truly be there for one those she loved during difficult times. And it was a privilege to see this. Wow. My father-in-law, reality, his name was Larry. Reality is you get pancreatic cancer, you got about a six months shelf life. Mm-hmm. You don't feel what it's doing to you on pancreatic cancer usually until it starts to spread to the liver in these other areas. Right. And I remember sitting down with him. They said he had two goals. One was he wanted to see all three of his grandkids born. The other was he wanted them to be old enough to have real life memories of him. He was a warrior. I was so proud to be his yeah, son-in-law. For sure. Never complained, never bitched, oh. nothing. Just did what he needed to do to truly be there to try and make his two goals come true. And unfortunately, cancer is like a roller coaster. It goes yeah. up, it goes down, but it doesn't care about your plans. It doesn't yeah. care about what you're doing. Just yeah. like other diseases, just like depression, I can go right down the list. They're going to do what they want. It's how do you handle yeah. the situation that you're put in right there? Yeah. And we think we know when it's all rainbows and unicorns, but until you're really backs against the wall, you have no idea how you're going to react. Right. That's a good point. And that's something you learn. So yeah. what happened is, as he's going up and down in this roller coaster. In February of 2013, almost eight, about almost eight years ago to the day, I was driving on a snowy, icy day in a town called Bridgewater, New Jersey. There's fender benders all over the side of the road. Yeah. And you're just like, I- I'm not dealing with this. I'm wearing yeah. my suit and tie. I'm like, I'm doing 25. And I pull up to the car in front of me at a traffic light. I hydroplane right into the car. The car flips over, airbags go off. Wow. I'll hold on to that steering wheel thinking all that working out I do is for this. I get out of the car without a scratch on my body. Car's totaled. Police come over like, dude, you got to go to the hospital right now. I'm like, no, nah, man, beast mode. I'm, I'm good. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm good. They're like, you got to go to the hospital. So I call my wife up. He was shopping at a place called the King of Prussia Mall, taking a little break from Larry's chemotherapy because his roller coaster is going back down this way. Right. Yeah. And I tell her what happened. 
She goes, you gotta go to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm okay. She goes, don't forget about our friend, Karen. We have this friend named Karen Mancini. She's in Bluebell, Pennsylvania at a traffic light. And some dude comes flying through and T-bones her. Police come over. She's fine. When police come over, they go, you should go to the hospital just in case. She's like, okay. They bring her to the hospital. A couple hours later, two doctors come out to her and say, we want you to send a thank you note and flowers to the person that hit you. We just found a brain aneurysm. You'd be dead in the next four hours. I thought about my wife. I thought about my kids. Like a type A personality, I got on the tow truck, brought my car back and rented a car and went on my way to be to do what I do best. That night I get home, my head is killing me. My wife suffers from chronic migraines. Larry's sitting on the couch going through chemotherapy. I got three kids running all over the place. My head is killing. I've never really had a headache before. I mean, yeah. it's a hangover, but I've never really, really had a headache. Right. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, my head. And my wife looks at me, she goes, did you go to the hospital? I don't know. She goes, I want to hear about it. Try having chronic migraines. Over the next two weeks, pain got worse and worse every single day. Got to the point where it was 24 seven, but it wasn't about me. It was about my kids. It was about Larry. It was about helping my wife, supporting her. I was the last person in line who needed any attention. Right. A little over two weeks later, I lost all ability to sleep. I would pass out on the couch from 8.30 to 10 and the pain would be so severe. I'd wake up and I just couldn't go back to bed. And I'm thinking, all right, this has got to end at some point. Like yeah. this is getting, you know, this will stop. Yeah. Following week, I'm giving a speech in that same town of Bridgewater, New Jersey, where I got in a car accident. And I speak professionally in the finance back then, just yeah, in the financial right. area. Yeah. And I go to make a point. And when I go to make that point, there's maybe 7,500 people in the room. Slur and gurgle poured out of my mouth. And I had no idea where I was. I remember seeing myself standing outside of my body going, you're having a stroke. You're, you're having a stroke. Oh, just you heard like, and it felt like an eternity. Yeah, man. I think it was five to six seconds. I don't think most of the crowd picked up on it. I'm like, oh, God, oh. listen, I was having, having trouble sleeping. Maybe it's yeah. a sinus infection. Blow up. Bounce back into this. Go to my car, scared out of my mind. Yeah. Over the next, call it three to four weeks, I had nine more of them. One when I'm training for a race, running on the Delaware River with my wife. One way I'm driving. Another one why I'm speaking. Once it hit 10, I'm like, all right, this is... This, this, this pain's just as severe as it's ever been. Still can't sleep. Now I'm having strokes yeah, every other day. So I'm giving a speech in my hometown of Parsippi, New Jersey. And what triggered my calm strokes was a hot flash. Hmm. For the 11th time, I feel a hot flash hit me in the face. I know that I could turn my back on everybody to point to a PowerPoint yeah. to cover up the next five to six seconds. At that moment, I decided I'm going to the hospital right now. Yeah. Right now. I'm done. All these wonderful people. Matt, I got a question. Let me ask you. And this is going through my mind. If you don't get away from me, I'm about to put somebody on the floor right now. Yeah. That is not me by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) I have these wonderful people, the clients of mine, they walk me to my car. Matt, one more question. That was a great presentation. I peeled out of the parking lot. I don't do that. I needed to get away. Yeah. Call my wife. She's in King of Prussia again. She's going to meet me at Capital Health in Hopewell, New Jersey. 90-minute ride. This is going through my head. Right. All right, cool. They're going to fix this. We'll get this taken care of. they got to give me some medicine. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to die. Like, I mean, this is, I, it's just hit a point. Yeah. So down to Capital Health. 
And we walk in, I meet her there, we hold hands, we walk into the hospital. And they say, we're gonna give you a CAT scan. I'm like, CAT scan, right on, man, that's easy. It's like an X-ray, how big deal? Right. Give me a CAT scan. And three hours later, when they walk in, they go, Mr. Newman, we know the issue. I'm like, yes, diagnose it, fix it. What's the deal? Yeah, what do we gotta do? Yeah. Enough. You have a lesion on the left frontal lobe of your brain. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm gonna divert for a second. Sure. For anybody who's in any type of industry who's listening to this, we often speak the vernacular of our industry. The average person has no idea what we're talking about. It's like when my mechanic is telling me what's going on, this is going through my mind. How much does it cost? And when can I pick it up? I, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. It's so, so true. <laughs> it's so true. We use a terminology that yeah. someone in your industry understands, yeah. but the average guy, and that's where sales have gotten so inappropriate. It's like, just yeah. explain to somebody, give them yeah. a strategy or solution in some fashion. Yeah. So I'm thinking, lesion, I hit my head in that car accident. I probably don't remember it because yeah. it's a bruise. Right. Like, yeah. This makes total. Because it's causing massive pain. I'm like, dude. Yeah. He goes. He goes. This is a. This was causing you not to sleep. I'm like, yeah. He goes, Mr. Newman, you're not having strokes. You're having seizures on the left frontal lobe of your brain. That affects your speech and memory. And this sounds really difficult to take. I was like, yeah, that's it. This yeah. guy knows exactly what he's talking about. Perfect. What do we got to do? We got to do an MRI, an MRI. I was not upset at all. I was like, they are right. Yeah, that's yeah. the deal. So I'm going in and out of the MRI too. And at three in the morning, they come up to me and they go, and I've been in like three, four times. They go, right. we got to do one more. You got to have contrast this time. So my wife goes, listen, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make lunch for our kids that are five, three, and two. Whoa. I'm going to find a ride for my dad to get down for chemotherapy because his roller coaster went back down. I go, I'm going to be in the tube for an hour. So don't worry about it. So they come in with a wheelchair and I had just run something called the broad street run in Philly. It's the largest 10 mile run in the country. My wife and I do it every year. Right. And they come in, they go, all right, Mr. Newman, jump on the wheelchair. I'm like, I've had it with wheelchairs. I'll walk. I just ran the race the other day. They go, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. It literally, they go, Mr. Newman, liability. Yeah. Can't walk. So I get in the wheelchair and the woman grabs the clipboard. All right, Mr. Newman, we got to do an MRI, MRI. This time we got to do contrast. We need to see how big your brain tumor is. I go, it's a lesion. And that was the moment at 39, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's such a great point that you point out. Like we hear the vernacular of certain industries. We don't have any clue what they're saying. So you, you looked at it as it wasn't a big deal. You know? No, I thought it was a bruise. I, yeah, I, I, was, I thought it was a bruise, yeah. Now, it's interesting. I'll give you one quick point on this. Yeah. One of my best friends is the head of pediatric anesthesiology at Columbia uh, Presbyterian up in New York. And um, he's godfather of one of my children. Okay. My wife called him after she heard about the, the, about the lesion. He knew exactly what it was. Yeah. Now, I wasn't in that room. Right. I was to a million machines, I was, all, all this other stuff like that. I could tell when she came in, she knew. She knew yeah. so because he understood the vernacular. It was his craft, right? The average person I'm thinking I got a bruise on my head from a car accident. Okay. What's well, a big deal about that? Not, not, yeah. not a problem. So to validate your point, he knew it. He knew exactly yeah. what it was when he said that to him. So you hear this news and obviously your wife already knows at this point. I mean, obviously this heavy, heavy news to hear it that way. What, how did you handle that? And, and what did it look like the next couple of weeks moving forward after hearing that news? So they put me in the tube for about an hour and a half in the MRI tube. My head's all over the place. They brought me back. They plugged me into about 30 different machines. 
And I'd start to cry. Mm. I started to have retrospective on my life. Yeah. And I started to think there's something I must have done to cause this to happen. I'm thinking I'm a good dad. I'm yeah. a good husband. Wow. And to make a point you said before, strength is not how big our arms are. Strength right. is not how much we bench press. Strength is something that's located deep down in our bellies. And at the deepest and darkest of times, we could find it, we could grab it, we could own it. I didn't know I had it in me. I saw it, it was mine. I own this. This is my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. It's riding shotgun. I will never allow that cancer to define me. All of a sudden, I had a new set of lenses on at that given moment. Yeah. I saw life differently right there. And there's two things you could do. You can kowtow to it, or you could fight with everything you had inside of you. And at that moment going forward, I was never scared again. I didn't know I had it in me. I didn't know where it came from. But this is mine. This is my life. I don't want to be remembered as the cancer guy. I want to be remembered for me. And that was just a part of my overall excursion, yeah. you could say, yeah. that I was on. And my wife comes walking in with the surgeon. Wow. Wiping those eyes. Her dad's dying of cancer. Her husband, by the way, you hear your husband has brain cancer? He's going to die. He, yeah, uh, right. He, my husband's going to die. I got three kids. He goes, let me tell you what we're going to do. I go, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get this crap out of my head and I'm going to take care of the rest. He goes, you're going to get a full craniotomy on Friday. It's Wednesday now. He goes, we won't know the severity of the tumor for 10 days. We're going to cut half your head off. We're going to pull your jaw out. We're going to take the tumor out. And then we'll figure things out after that. He goes, but I want you to read something. And he gave me a study from the American Medical Association. Right. And there's some diseases. They're going to take us physically. There's nothing we could do about it. We control if they take us spiritually and we control the way that we define ourselves. Yeah. The legacy we leave to others, that's on our shoulders. If we allow that to become part of the disease of what we're, that's on us because we control that right there. Wow. And we have every bit of movement on how we want people to remember us and how they think about us as well too. And that's how we define people later in life. And that's how legends and legacies are truly built. At the same time, there's some diseases you could beat. What do you think the number one thing on that list is to have a chance to beat a disease? And by the way, I'm not talking just cancer. I'm talking disease across the board. Mm. That's a good question. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I don't know. Attitude. Wow. So it talks about the downward spiral I mentioned earlier. I mm. want you to think of this. We all know a couple that was married for 50 years, living the life of Ryan. I just great people. Right. Husband gets cancer and he dies. Wife's healthy as a horse. What do we often hear happen six months later? Yeah, the wife passes away. Yep. Once you fall into that downward spiral of regret, resentment, negativity, the odds of getting out of it are unbelievably low. All they were doing is pouring kerosene on my fire. Now yeah. it was, now I don't want to fight. I want to kill. Let's go. Let's yeah. do what we got to do. And I remember my wife looking at me and I'm all, I'm getting there. I'm like, you know, she goes, our parents are on the way over. A couple of things I pointed out. One, your dad's not coming. He's not, he's not my father. I'm all, he's my cancer partner. I now believe, I don't believe in irony any longer. He was there to show me how to have dignity, how to act properly, how to be a yeah. warrior, how to fight, how to truly put family first. Love it. Things happen now for a reason. And it was at that given moment. I knew how my parents were going to be. Your son has brain cancer. He's going to die. Yeah. So I turned to my wife. I go, do me a favor. Give me the iPad. She goes, they're going to be here in like 20 minutes. Do you want to watch a movie? I go, just give me the iPad. Let me, let me look yeah. at it. She goes, yeah, sure. So I pull up the iPad. 
I had to make sure I was going through major surgery. The first thing I had to do was make sure everything that I talk about was taken care of. Practice what you preach, right? First thing I did is pulled up my will, a will, 19 bucks on legal zoom done. I pulled up my power of attorney that my wife makes all decisions on anything done. I pulled up my life insurance, things I didn't want to do back in the day, but I practiced done. I went through the whole thing. And that was the moment I realized every speech I ever gave in my career was actually about me. I just didn't know it yet. I was the shoemaker's kids had shoes. I did everything I talked about. What if I wasn't born into this industry at some point with my father? What if I didn't learn these lessons that would bloom it? The education system did nothing to teach me this. Right. I could have sat there with regret and was like, oh, I should have done this. I couldn't have done that. And then boom, downwards. But instead it was done. What next? What do we got to do? Where do we got to go? Yeah. So my dad walks in. My, well, let me say this. Larry walks in first, says nothing to me, nods his head at me. I nod my head at him. That's all we needed to do. Walks in with my mother-in-law. My mom and dad walk in with the same fist he gave me at Delaware. Hey, buddy, how you doing? But I saw it in his eyes. I saw the fear. I saw the anger. I saw the evilness. I said, dad, sit down for a second on the bed. And I grabbed that iPad and I went through the whole thing. I took that iPad, this one actually. Yeah. And I threw it on the bed and he goes, there's only one thing on my mind, dad. He goes, I go, getting better. My family's taken care of. I have everything covered. They'll grieve forever, but they'll maintain their lifestyle. Yeah. I'm going to beat the shit out of this thing. Pardon my language there. Sorry. Right. And, and uh, for the first time in my life, I saw my dad cry. And he just broke down. And I wasn't. I was in that beast mode. He goes, you're going to beat this. I go, I know I'm going to beat this. And these are the stories you're going to share of how you could alleviate so much negativity. Dude. To be able to take on the battle at hand. And a couple of days later, that Friday I got surgery. I talk a lot about how wealth and health are very correlated together. I don't think most people realize that. Sure. I think there's a big assimilation between the two of them. Absolutely. I'm really into fitness and all that stuff like that. I got up right on on Friday. I went home on Sunday. I 100% attribute that to being in good shape because I went from basically the ICU to going home. Yeah. But think of the cost of a hospital room. Think of all these other things oh, that yeah. are there. The quicker you can get out. Plus home is where the heart is. And I'll never forget they wheel me down. I'm in a wheelchair. And my wife picks me up in the same car I dropped off six days earlier. Now, I won't know the severity of this for another eight days, how bad the tumor is and whatnot. And I get in the car. I got a second head. I look like a train wreck. And she drives us home. We only live maybe five, 10 minutes from the hospital. And we pull into my driveway. And we have those side entrances on the side of the driveway. And I walk in and my kids were holding signs and say, I love you, daddy. Thank you for coming home. Wow. And I just started to cry. But I didn't cry out of fear. I didn't cry out of anger. I cried out of happiness. This is my moment. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about yesterday. It's about living in the now. And now I get it. It's clear as day. We focus so much on other minutia that you got to go through these horrible times to realize that it's about this given moment right here. And I'm getting a gift in my mind. I have a clarity that I've never had. I go up to my room. I fall asleep for 13 hours. Home is where the heart is. Not to go on a long tangent, but I want to share this with everybody. Please do. No, you're good. I started to really get this different perspective on life. And I started to write things down and share and understand. Because listen, I'm not going to know how bad this is. Day five of me being home. My son is having his five-year-old father's picnic at his Pennington Montessori school. He's in kindergarten. Three kids there. My wife looks at me that morning. She goes, you don't have to go to this. I go, never. 
I'll never miss this. And I am a train wreck. I got to put hats on. And so, I mean, you know, I have no energy and all this other stuff. So that morning she goes, do you want to come with me to drop the kids at school? I go, I do. So I get in the car and ride shotgun. I can't even drive. We get there. She takes my five-year-old Luke and my three-year-old Jake and brings him to class. I take my two-year-old Lola and I'm holding her little hand. And we walk to her classroom and she takes her little pink jacket and she puts it on the hook. She goes, I love you, daddy. Thank you for taking me to class. And you know what I used to do? Yeah, no problem. Well, let me see what my next appointment is. Let me say, Bella. Yeah. I had to go through this to leave my phone in the car to understand now that I'd be teaching her a lesson that you don't focus on the person you're with, you focus on other stuff. I had to go through this to have this gift of understanding the moment. This is our moment together right now. And in the past, I've made it about myself all the time. And I think I'm trying to provide for my family, do all these other things. This is her moment right now, not my, I go back, I am euphoric. I am a mess, but I'm seeing, she goes to me, she goes, you don't have to go to the lunch. I'm like, oh my God, I'll never miss it. She takes me up to the lunch. Luke's waiting at the door. He's five years old. He gives me a hug. He goes, I love you, daddy. I'm crying out of pure happiness right there. I didn't think we'd have this moment together. And what you would do is you would sit in the backyard of the class, sit on the ground with your child, with a brown bag lunch for 30 minutes, and then you leave. So I sit down there. Rebecca's got to wait just in case there's a problem with me or something. And I look up. I am rainbows and unicorns. This is our moment. We own this. Nobody else's. And I see every dad sitting next to their kid like this. Now, oh my God, that was me. Back then I had a Blackberry and an iPhone. This wasn't dad's lunch. It was Luke's lunch. And now I had complete clarity that it's about him. But that, but by the way, I had no anger, no animosity. That was me. I would do it. I would have been doing the same thing prior to this. So I'm not going to give back these gifts that I'm getting from this journey that I put on. Most people go through these times and, oh, I just wanna go back to old ways. There are no old ways. The world is a constant evolution. It's a ball that continues to roll and roll and roll. You could take things from the past and transpose them into what's going forward, but you have to adapt. Change breeds complacency or change breeds opportunity. I was open to this change of I'm gonna become a better person. I'm going to survive. I'm going to find out how to be a better dad. I'm gonna stop doing certain things. I'm going to take from cancer and not let it take from me. And that became clear clear as day at that given moment. Wow, man. I just, I got chills, dude. Seriously. This is amazing. You know what hit me hard when you said I had to go through, I had to go through this to learn to leave my phone in the car. hundred percent. Oh, and that I was, mean, I was that guy. I yeah. was that well, guy. We're, we're all guilty of it. I mean, and for you to say that though, Ren, that really hit me hard. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. And one thing I want to point out too, you know, you talk about, you know, attitude was the, at the top of that list of, you know, how to survive these things and, and beat these diseases or whatever. And it, it reminds me of uh, something I tell my clients, the most powerful force in the human psyche is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. Yeah. And so you told a story about you and it was this amazing, like, okay, this is it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to live. I'm going to make this happen. And I don't know, dude, I, that's what I got out of that. I, that, that is amazing to me. I'll tell you what's interesting. I, I, I'm very open about it. You don't know you have that strength. Yeah. But once you see it, if you let it go, that's on you. 
Yeah. I remember that given moment of seeing it, but it also started to change my mindset. I found out, unfortunately, eight days later, I had a grade three astrocytoma. That's aggressive. I was going to have to go on chemo, radiation. And I was put in my place very quickly. But you talked about strength before. And I'll give you one more story on this. You started to see this new idea of what strength is. So what I would start to do is I would start to write. And this is going to sound odd. I said that at the beginning of our conversation that there's seeds that are planted inside of us that don't bloom till later on. My mom, I said, was a teacher. My mom liked to write. I never wrote in my life. Right. But I started to send these messages, these email messages out to friends and family on my new perspective, that new understanding. And what I realized that writing for me was my catharsis. I sent these emails out. I never read an email after I wrote it, ever. Right. And I would get these reactions and all this other stuff. Some, Matt, you need a cancer test. I would do that. So as I'm going through chemo and radiation, I started writing a lot. Yeah. But I'll never forget, I go up to them and say, I want the earliest radiation you can get. I said, this is my life. I own it. I'm going to work out in the morning like a maniac. I'm going to go to work. I know I'm not going to be able to work the whole day, but I'm not sacrificing time. They said, Mr. Newman, we start at 7 a.m. You could have the 7.10. I said, fine, I'll be here at 6.30. No problem. (laughs) So, and I'm an early guy anyway. So, So what happens is I would go in there and the woman before me was this emaciated woman. I'm going to guess 65 to 70, four foot 11 weighs maybe, I don't know. 75, 80 pounds. You saw where her path was going. Right. And every day her son would bring her in. He would bring her to the tube. You're only in the, you're only in the radiation thing for like eight minutes at a time. And he would sit down by me. Then he'd go get her and I'd go in. So two weeks into it, they come up to me and they go, Mr. Newman. I go, yeah. And I would bring my iPad. I'd do work. They go, Mr. Newman, um, this is her last date today. Would you like the 7 a.m.? I said, done. I'll take it. I got it. Yeah. They go, we'd like to invite you to something. When people finish their radiation treatments, one of the things we do is we say prayers, we sing songs, and then we ring a gong. gong, Would you like to join us outside so we could celebrate what she accomplished? And I went, I'm okay. Thank you. You I appreciate the invitation. I'm just gonna wait here. You tell me when you're ready and we'll go. Yeah. I opened my iPad up and I saw my reflection. I'll clean my language up for this. I went, who the bleep do you think you are? We are a family. We are a family of warriors. How dare you say something like that? I put my iPad down. I got up. I walked out. And I saw this emaciated woman where you knew where things were going. Pick up that gong. Swing that thing. And this was her moment. And I just started to cry. That's where I learned what strength really is. That's where she's one of the strongest people I ever met. And I don't think she had much of a shelf life after this. And I called my wife. I said, you're coming to this with me. This is real. This is pure. This is connection. It's something that you can't make up. And we are a big family of warriors. And warriors are supposed to support each other. So I would have to wear a radiation mask. That mask sits in the corner of my office at all times so it could always remind me to never give back the gifts that i've taken from this journey that i've been placed on wow i love that never give back the gifts that is so amazing matt amazing and you know again like these dark times and these amazing lessons you're learning i mean you can just see i mean you can hear it and I mean, I get to see you. I see your passion. I hear your passion. I can feel your passion. It's, it truly is inspiring, man. 
Oh, thank you. And I'm grateful you are here because I think you're here for a reason is to share these lessons with us. So we I, can, so we can take them and go, okay, you know, I don't need to maybe now go through cancer to leave my, my damn phone in the car. You know, it, it, it's you know also, you know, it's interesting. People tell me about the book that I wrote and all this other stuff. I can honestly tell you this, however, anybody interprets it to find the inspiration and motivation they need to tackle whatever's on their path. Great. That's all I want to hear. Cause yeah. here's, what's funny. I told you I was sending out all these emails to friends and family. Yeah. Four years into it, I had 20,000 people following my emails. <laughs> I never counted. I just put them on a list. I was doing this for me. There was no plan. That, hey, Matt, you have a cancer test. Start writing. Hey, Matt, we're not sure this came back. I never sat down and wrote. Like I did it with, it became my catharsis. If yes. you keep pushing all that negativity down into your belly and you don't find an outlet, you're going to combust. Yeah. This came from my mom. So what's interesting is I'd said I was going to write a book for me. I mean, genuinely, there was no business plan, no right. ghostwriter. It just made me feel better. Yeah. And March 23rd, 2018, the book came out. And I called my mom in person in New Jersey. I go, hey, mom, the book's coming out tonight. This was her exact terminology. You know, no one's ever going to read it, right? <laughs> she cares about me, right? She goes, I, said, I kid you not. This absolutely happened. She goes, but you're going to put three copies in your safe. It's when your kids are old enough they'll be able to read what really happened. I said, mom, I couldn't agree with you more. Wow. And then we were number one <laughs> in four categories a week later and my jaw hit the breath. There was, right. here's what I learned. People are connected to realness and purity. They're sick of the shtick. They don't want some dude giving them a bunch of stats on how they can make themselves better. They want to know that there's other people right. on the journey they've been on. Other people are on a path. Other people have been placed in these horrible situations. And if they were able to fight through it, regardless what it is, Maybe I can do it. And I can tell you I did it for me. There was no intent on that in any way, yeah. but with great power becomes great responsibility. And we have an obligation that if we could help motivate people to take on the challenge at hand, to fight, to plan, to do the things that will help them appreciate life better, there's no monetary value that, yeah. is, that can be exchanged for that feeling of deep-rooted, heart-strung connection, which is real. And that's where you start to have this new understanding of, let me tell you how we're going to improve your sales or you're going to beat cancer. Click next, not interested. Right. I'd rather hear about the person who took on a journey, who put on, who was faced with something they didn't want to, and they found where strength really lied. They were able to yeah. tackle something. They were able, that's real. And that's, that's something real. that has value to it. Man, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Something you said too. I mean, you've said many things that have really hit me today, but I love when you said, this is my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. Absolutely. It's riding shotgun and I'm in control and here's how I'm going to handle it. And boy, what a powerful lesson in that. And whether it's cancer or you plug in any other adversity you're going through, there it is. Okay. If this is what I got, you know, and so I appreciate those very wise words there, Matt. Oh, thank you. And, and, and it's real and it's true. Yeah. And I, I remember the moment that that happened to you realize that there's only so much we control. Yeah. Don't give that part to something else. Right. It's yours. Yeah. You know, you own it. And yeah. the more you digest that and understand the fragility of life, yeah, the more humbled you become. Right. And I think I was good before this, but I look at it as I take these gifts from cancer. And I'll make this one point just for you real quick. I, I get yeah. asked all the time. 
So you're glad this happened. No, what are you out of your mind? Like it's, it's going to be with me forever. I, I'm going to may, I'm going back for more tests and stuff like that. Yeah. But I can sit there and bitch about it yeah. or I can take from it and utilize that to be better in a variety of different areas yeah. and have a better understanding of how real connection is and yeah. how important it is to provide support to people when they truly need it. Everybody comes around when things are good. They bolt when things are bad. The yeah. people who are there when things are bad, who are there to drive inspiration and motivation, they're doing something that will dictate their legacy. Wow. Love it. Well, you know, I know there's some people listening to your voice right now who are in a bad spot. They're, they're in that darkness and they're struggling. You've said many things that we can already take. Uh, is there any advice if you're talking to one person right now who's feeling like, man, I can't do this. This is too hard. What would you tell that person right now, Matt? So a lot of us have great support groups. I was very fortunate to have mm -hmm. that, but I work with a lot of people that don't. A couple of ideas I'll give. One is find somebody you can talk to. Yeah. Sometimes it's just getting it off your chest. Sometimes, yeah. as I mentioned before about combusting, we keep things inside of us and it causes bad things to happen. Yeah. Just getting it out sometimes to someone who's not going to judge you, who's not going to hold you accountable for what you said, but it's just going to be there for you. It sometimes does a lot more than we realize. And it provides a, uh, a refresher, if you will. Yeah. Because you've alleviated yourself of a lot of angst and anxiety. Also remember this, you're on a long road. Don't make it shorter than you need to. Sometimes you just got to drive through negative moments, but it's okay to ask for help. My catharsis was getting it off my chest. I don't know why. Most of the people I talk to, they only want to talk to someone who's been through it. I've been with people who their family didn't know what they were going through, but they'll talk to me about it. Yeah. So find someone who's on a similar path yeah. and you might get more inspiration than you realize because you're not alone on your journey. Don't think you are. Everybody's got this fictitious rainbows and unicorns BS story. We've all got our scars. Sure. We've all got our demons and we've all got our battles. We try to hide behind this facade of the way we dress and the way we look. Everybody's got something. You're no different than anybody else. Right. The more you talk through it, the more you're alleviating yourself of that negativity that's bottled up. Boy, that's beautiful advice, Matt. I love it. And I think what that does too, is it forms that, like you keep talking about connection. When we, when we feel like I can talk to someone, now I'm connecting. Correct. Just like I'm connecting with you right now, man. I truly feel connected with you and it feels amazing. That is beautiful advice. Um, you know, there's, there's so much we could still, I could talk to you all day, dude. <laughs> this is amazing. Your energy is just infectious. Oh, it, I just freaking love it. Um, one, one other thing, if, if some people want to reach out to you and they've heard this today and they're like, man, I want to get a hold of Matt. Yeah. I want to know what he's doing. I want to get his book. I want to learn about his courses, everything. I want to know more about financial planning, whatever it may be. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. It's, and, and nobody be bashful, please. It's, yeah. I'm going to give you my website address for a reason. I'll explain it. It's Matthew, M-A-T-T-H-E-W S Newman, N-E-W-M-A-N.com, Matthew S Newman.com. Now I must say the only person that calls me Matthew is my mom. Nobody else does. But MatthewSNewman.com, <laughs> the reason I'm giving you that is you have all of our social media on there. 
you have direct contact right to us where it'll email directly through there on there. Okay. It's got all of, not all, but it's got a ton of speeches. I has got when I was on yeah. ESPN, all this other stuff. So there's things you could listen to, but if you want to contact us, it could be on any social media platform from there, or it could be a direct email. So it's the easiest way to have one area that can blossom into a, di- a number of different ones. Right. And any way we can help, we do yeah. a lot on uh, Instagram and whatnot about, you know, quotes that just come from my stomach and heart. And I never thought anybody would care about them <laughs> really, because, because you realize you're not on your path alone. Yeah. No, and that's, that's where you see things. Right. That's beautiful. And, and again, I know you probably said it, but they can also order your book right off your website as well. Is that Oh correct? yeah. And it'll take them right to Amazon. So Amazon. Amazon's okay. the easiest, easiest when sure. you go on Goodreads, Barnes and Noble, all stuff okay. like that. But um, yeah, you can go on our website and I'll take you right, right to the page. And it's called Starting at the Finish Line. Starting at the Finish Line. That's perfectly well said uh, for your story and this and that. But I, I, Matt, I can't thank you enough for taking some time today and sharing your passion, your love, and just your will to make this world a better place. Uh, I just, I can't believe I'm sitting here with you today and I've, I've been uplifted and I'm, I'm seriously, I'm, look at this, dude. Seriously. <laughs> These are I notes. Love I love it. I'm taking from what you've said and I'm going to incorporate it in my own life. I'm going to help my family out with those. I'm going to teach them to my clients. Um, I'm going to actually share this podcast belief cast with my, uh, I have a bunch of clients that I uh, work with who are struggling with addiction and depression and anxiety. And this is going to be one that they're going to listen to. So this has been beautiful. It's been a beautiful moment for me with sitting here with you. Uh, the honor has been mine and anything we could do going forward to, to help out and do other stuff together. It's absolutely my pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening as well too. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Well, there you go, listeners. I told you this was going to be amazing. I mean, you know, I should have told you to buckle up uh, because <laughs> <laughs> this energy he has is, is, is infectious, but uh, thank you for joining us. Once again, please share this with, Everyone, you know, I don't care if they're just like Matt was saying, everyone's struggling with something. They may have just not said anything yet. Share it with everyone, but especially with those that you know, who are in a dark spot and are struggling with life right now. Unfortunately, a lot of people are in that spot, but this will be one of those uplifting and inspirational moments in time for them. And uh, so I love you guys. Thanks for believing in me. And, and once again, Matt, I, 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 I hope you don't mind me saying this, but I love you. And I'm Uh, thankful. I'm thankful the way you live your life and you truly have made an impact on my life that I won't forget. I can't thank you enough. It was absolute honor again. Yeah. Honor too. Okay. Take care. And until next time, everybody.